Welcome to season two of Man in the Making with former monk Rajan Shankara and myself, Rafis. Thank you for joining me, Rajan. Thank you. So how will we be doing this episode? Okay, so uh, welcome everyone to season two. Uh, we're excited to get back to it. And before we get into the bread and butter of reading from people that made an impact in history, and we are going to cover in season two a lot of the people who made an impact in society because when we read from them we learn from them and then we become a little bit more like them and we can start to formulate our own ideas based on their knowledge and wisdom but before we do that uh the entire season one we never went over who rokas is we know who i am we know raj it's not a big deal anymore. Um, Rokas, why did you want to start recording me on a podcast? Um, when we first spoke, when you joined the voice call we were having on the group, I remember I read some pieces from your uh, a text you had written. It was called Man in the Making, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I had messaged you some questions about it. I think it was around a week later you had come on to the group. And as we were talking and you were answering those questions, I realized it's something that could help other people as well. Because I was finding out a lot of insightful things that were, I'm not sure how I would say this properly, but beyond beyond the level of thought that I was given it. So it was going in deeper, a deeper mm. level. And yeah, so I found it insightful and I thought it would be good to share it with other people who would be interested. And where where are you from, Rokas? I'm from Lithuania, born in Lithuania, and I moved to the UK when I was five years old. Why did you guys move when you were so young? Um, my mom was looking for better opportunities for herself and for me. And your father? Um, never met him. So do you think the lack of interaction with a father figure has impacted your life negatively? Do, do you think that by being a man in the making, so to speak. Uh, how has that affected that process? In a way, I feel sorry for my mom because she had to take on a masculine role. Um, right. There was no father figure. And this does get a bit personal. Um, the way she brought me up, she said she regrets it now. Um, but I can see from her perspective that she didn't have many other choices. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can see where she's coming from when she says that. Um, and yes, the way I was brought up. It's hard. Yeah, it was hard. It wasn't an ideal environment. Um, it, I, for lack of, no, I don't want to say the word. Um, but I know from around the age of 16, 
I knew the way I was, I wasn't happy with, and uh, I needed to change. And I started working on myself. And around the age of 18, I became, I became um, more, yeah, I became happy with the person I had become after around two years of working on myself. And it went, it was uphill since then. Oh, um, that's fantastic. So, yeah. So you're kind of a self-made man. Interestingly enough, which is <laughs> the text we were going to speak about today. Right. So, all right, we'll leave, we'll leave Rokas alone on his personal story. Um, Frederick Douglass, an important man in history because of his dire circumstances as a slave in the South, in American, uh, North American history in the United States. And he basically, he's one of the people that I read in my research uh, in, in self-education and, and becoming a man uh, on my journey. And his story stu- stuck out to me because of his, his profound ability to withstand hardship and then rise out of it and take the experience and become wiser from it and 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 he almost used it as fuel to 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 fire his own education and to to enhance his own well-being and and he came from nothing for the first 9 or 10 years of his life he slept in a shack on a hardwood floor in a potato sack like that was his bedding a potato sack for the first nine or ten years years of his life and i use that reference i've used i used it in season one i think um and i use it all the time and it's something i think about a lot because if he can endure we can endure if if one person if one mind and human can endure suffering and hardship that means that anyone else can as well and if one person can rise up out of um unfortunate circumstance you know situations without um fortune right literally unfortunate um and and make his life abundant and meaningful and impactful then that's hope and inspiration that we all can. Okay. So what's interesting about um, Frederick Douglass's 1872 speech, self-made men is that he covers the definition of a man and goes into how he succeeds. And so we're not going to cover the whole thing. It's very poetic. It's very long and wordy. So I wanted to just cover the most important parts. So, you know, a kind of a a cliff note of the speech itself. And what Rokas and I see in season two is the going over of works by great people. Maybe not well-known works, but the people will, will most likely be well-known and some not so much, but 
their writing stuck out to me and Rokas. And we want to, instead of just, you know, have me talk about my own experiences, which get very boring very quickly, we're going to see what these people were made of and what they wrote about. One of the first things in Self-Made Men by Frederick Douglass that sticks out to me is his sentence in the beginning of what a man is made up of. Okay, so I'm going to read this first paragraph. The tendency to the universal in such discussion is altogether natural and all-controlling. For when we consider what man as a whole is, what he has been, what he aspires to be, and what, by a wise and vigorous cultivation of his faculties, he may yet become, we see that it leads irresistibly to this broad view of him as a subject of thought and inquiry. Okay, now this is profound to me because of those two words, thought and inquiry. And Frederick Douglass sounds like a Stoic here. He sounds like a philosopher uh, in, in the days of Socrates or, or Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius when he says, by a wise and vigorous cultivation of his faculties. So Epictetus says the same thing, that we are not in control of our of, of the appearances, basically the, the situation around us, outside of us, but we're in control of our faculties. And, and that specific word, faculty, is used uh, throughout history in philosophical literature. So what he aspires to be, by a wise and vigorous cultivation of his faculties, he may yet become, so what is possible, his potential, we see that it leads to this broad view of him as a subject of thought and inquiry. So that's self-reflection. That's critical thinking. And that's what this podcast is about because for me, that's what my life is about. Rokas, you just explained how that's what your life is about. Thought and inquiry, self-reflection, what could be, you know, what our potential is. When Douglas writes what he aspires to be, that's, I'd say, important for younger men because some don't have a direction in life. They don't have any aspirations uh, for the future. It's something that I would say that, in my opinion, is very important. And I, I think you would agree because without a direction, no matter how much you develop yourself or how much you work within yourself or how much you do to try and prove yourself. In the end, you won't, you won't really, I don't think you will get anywhere. Um, it's like the analogy of, imagine you're a ship in a harbor, no matter how big of, let's say how big this ship is, um, if you sail out and you don't have a direction on where to sail then you just drift around endlessly in the sea not knowing where to go so i think it's important to have aspirations and it's something that he does mention what he aspires to be that's so true i mean man you hit the nail on the head uh and that's something that uh, people who 
in my field of helping other people, that's what we talk about. You need a goal. If you don't have a goal, then what, what the hell are you working towards? Like, what are you doing? And it, it's okay if you, if you don't know, ex, you know, specifically, like, like very specifically, and you can't write a thesis on it, that's fine. But don't sit still. Don't do nothing. Aspire to be something, even if it's unachievable, because you'll reach this, you know, uh, this state that Aristotle talks about of, of, of finding a middle path. So it's okay to overachieve um, and, and end up, you know, cause you know, somewhere in the middle, if your standards are very high, um, that, then that's better than not having any standards at all. <clears throat> so absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Um, and just to add to that, uh, it's something we may or may not cover in the future as well, but it links with when Seneca talked about the shortness of life. And I think without a goal, uh, it will seem like life just goes by uh, quickly. But when you have a sense of direction and you know what you're doing, then you use your time purposefully. And it seems like then you have enough time to live. It doesn't seem like you're just given a short amount of time to live and it flees away. Exactly. And it does make sense. And, and, you know, Douglas goes right into what you just said. It is neither dimmed by time nor tarnished by repetition for man, both in respect of himself and of his species is now and evermore will be the center of unsatisfied human curiosity unsatisfied human curiosity which is what to me what you just said like having that that inquisitive nature and that curious nature constantly seeking learning researching developing yourself it doesn't end it's it's not something that that you reach a point and you're, you're satisfied because once that happens, you'll quickly realize that there is much more to learn and you often reach one peak and then you can see all the other possibilities, all the other peaks from where you're at. And so you, you will actually in life go back down in another venture just to climb back up. And it's, that's just like Sisyphus, which we'll go over too. Um, you know, constantly put, you know, having, you know, damned for eternity to push a rock up a hill. And the, the myth is that he smiled while he did it. So, you know, that's unsatisfied human curiosity. And that's that enduring to learn. And once you know something well enough, you can go back to the beginning with another subject and learn all over again. And it's, and it's painful and it's, it takes humility to, to once be at the top of a subject and go to a completely new subject to be at the bottom again and be a pupil and, and have others be better than you. But it's once you understand that that's one of life's most fulfilling properties, then it's a, it's a joyful um, practice. And then you do it over and over again. That's why you meet some people are po- polyglots. They learn you know, 10 different languages. Um, 
they, they have a knack for learning a language. So they learn over and over and over again, and it, it never gets old. So the key to fi finding that, you know, something that you're good at and, and mastering the subject um, can, can really make life uh, extremely precious. He goes on to say, the pleasure we derive from any department of knowledge is largely due to the glimpse which it gives us of our own nature. The pleasure we derive from any department of knowledge is largely due to the glimpse which it gives us of our own nature. That's kind of profound to me. He then poetically says, we may travel far over land and sea, brave all climates, dare all dangers, endure all hardships, try all latitudes and long longitudes. We may penetrate the earth, sound the ocean's depths, and seep the hollow sky with our glasses in the pursuit of other knowledge. But no matter how radiant the colors, how enchanting the melody, how gorgeous and splendid, splendid the pageant, man himself, with eyes turned inward upon his own wondrous attributes and powers, surpasses them all. So, to me, that's very um, Henry David Thoreau, that, that real poetic um, speech of duality, this and that, you know, the, the, the greatness of things, uh, all aspects of life, all aspects of beauty are not in comparison to our own, as he says, wondrous attributes and powers. So, yeah. Um, what like, does the first part mean to you, where it says the pleasure we derive from any department of knowledge is largely due to the glimpse which it gives us of our own nature? Could you so the pleasure we get from whatever kind of knowledge we're learning about, the pleasure we get from that is largely due to the glimpse which it gives us of our own nature. So the beginning ties in with the end. So if, if, if our nature is one of wondrous attributes and powers, that is our, our actual nature. Our actual nature is greatness. And that's something that the monks that I trained with lived by. And eventually the monk abides in his own greatness is an actual quote from our book of vows. So it's like eventually we look outward and we look outward at all these different things and we learn all these different things. And the thing that learns the, the, the power that learns and seeks is, is, is the actual goal eventually. And that's why I say people are the thing worth saving. You know, you as an individual, is the very thing worth cultivating in life and nurturing. It's that power of self that runs everything else. It, 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 it is the cycle of life, is, is, is the individual and desire and karma. And, and that's what moves all of life. So to, to um, you know, I say to people who are depressed or, or, somehow lost and, and, and confused, 
you know, look no further than at yourself and get satisfaction in saving yourself in, in cultivating your mind because that is the essence of all learning is yourself. And that's what he's saying here. That pleasure that we get from knowledge is largely due to the glimpse it gives us of our own nature and our own nature is beautiful. I mean, it's perfect. And in, 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 in Eastern philosophical language, our own nature is the essence of all life. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Were I called upon to point out the broadest and most permanent distinction between mankind and other animals, it would be this, their earnest desire for the fullest knowledge of human nature on all its many sides. So that is profound to me because beyond all the poetry of Douglas's writings and in his speech, there's, there's this quintessential point that he makes at the end of the poetry. And, and, and this one is something I think about a lot because it compares man to animal. And, and that's a profound thought. Once we understand the difference between man and animal, we treat ourselves better. And the difference here that Douglas is saying is the earnest desire for the fullest knowledge of human nature. Okay, so what, what that's been said in other ways uh, by other people, um, such as uh, the difference between uh, man is that he understands his own mortality. So the fact that we understand we can die and that this physical body is temporary is a catalyst for us to search further and to have a sense of urgency. So here, instead of using mortality, uh, he says the earnest desire for the fullest knowledge of human nature. So uh, as is said in uh, Stoic philosophy, know thyself, right? So oddly, for Frederick Douglass's uh, speech in in 1872 is 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 very um, stoic. It's it's very it's very much Aristotle and Epictetus like. It, it's 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 kind of uncanny. So obviously he studied these great people. One of my favorite parts about Frederick Douglass's history is that he realized the trick that people had over slaves was that they kept them stupid. Like literally they kept them dumb by not teaching them how to read and write. And that is what kept them enslaved. It's, it's a fascinating part of his uh, autobiography, which everyone should read. It's only his first autobiography is only a hundred pages. Uh, you could read it in a day. Um, and and he, he realized this while he was in, he was moved from the country to the city. I think it was New York. Don't quote me on that. And the person he was living with, his master, had a daughter. And his daughter started to teach him how to read. And the master came in one day and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm teaching him how to read. And he said, by God, don't, don't do that. Like, this man does not need to know how to read. He, doesn't, he won't know what to do with that information. 
And it was at that moment. He played dumb at that moment, but he knew he got like a spark of insight that that was the key to his eventual freedom and to the, to the freedom of every slave in the United States of America was teaching them how to read and write. But whether exalted or debased, charitable or wicked, whether saint or villain, priest or prize fighter, if only he be great in his line, he is an unfailing source of interest as one of a common brotherhood. For the best man finds in his breast the evidence of kinship with the worst and the worst with the best. Confront us with either extreme and you will rivet, rivet our attention and fix us in earnest contemplation. For our chief desire is to know what there is in man and to know him at all extremes and ends and opposites. And for this knowledge or the want of it, we will follow him from the gates of life to the gates of death and beyond them. So he's kind of eloquently and poetically saying that the study never ends. The study of, of our human nature and, and beyond that, our soul nature, you know, the deepest essence of man doesn't end. It's an unending source, un, or as he says, an unfailing source of interest and one of common brotherhood. So in other words, there's an interrelated aspect to all people, right? We're all connected in some way. And he's saying, if one of us is interesting, then we're all interesting. No one is left out of that spectrum. Going further down, he now begins to uh, change his speech from, from what a man is to, to what makes a man successful, okay? And obviously, this will stand out right away um, because of what we talked about in season one. In fact, they are, they are the men who are not brought up, who are obliged to come up, not only without the voluntary assistance or friendly cooperation of society, but often in open and derisive defiance of all the efforts of society and the tendency of circumstances to repress, retard, and keep them down. Okay, so he's talking about men not having privilege. They are the men who, in a world of schools, academies, colleges, and other institutions of learning, are often compelled by unfriendly circumstances to acquire their education elsewhere and amidst unfavorable conditions to hew out for themselves a way to success and thus to become the architects of their own good fortunes. Okay, so that's a lot, but he's saying, the people who have the least have the potential to have the most because challenges as we've often talked about and will continue to talk about make the person strong challenges make the person stronger so that point is obviously what made Frederick Douglass, and he's, he's of, of course, he's writing about himself at the same time. He's writing about slaves because he knew them, because he was one, right? Epictetus, famous Stoic philosopher, was also born into slavery, by the way, and got his freedom and then became one of the most powerful and well-known Stoics of history. 
it's it's not the people who have voluntary assistance or friendly cooperation of society, as he says in the, be, the beginning of this section. It's, it's the people who have unfriendly circumstance, acquire their education elsewhere, amidst unfavorable conditions, figure out a way to success, and thus become the architects of their own good fortunes. Extremely powerful. And that's why we read this. That's why we read stuff like this, because Frederick Douglass had it harder than you did. That's, that's the yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Fred, Frederick Douglass had it harder than every, and everyone you'll ever know, maybe. I mean, unless you know a Holocaust survivor or you know someone who like was almost stabbed to death. I mean, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, that, that's why we have to read from people, not only who made a, an impact on society, but who had, a, had a, an extremely difficult uh, experience in one, in one form or another. His was, was ongoing from, he was born into slavery until his, uh, someone would know more, but he got out of slavery. You know, I think he was in it for 20 years. I want to say, uh, he was moved around a lot when he became a teenager, he got stronger so he could work in different places. And then, uh, eventually I think moving to New York city, being moved to New York city, and then eventually teaching himself and getting out of slavery and then, uh, rallying people with his writing and saying, Hey, uh, Slaves are humans too. So, steel is improved by laying on damp ground, and the rusty razor gets a keener edge after giving its dross to the dirt in which it has been allowed to lie neglected and forgotten. So, he's going on and talking, giving examples of how things get better through challenges. In like manner, humanity, though it lay among the ports, covered with the dust of neglect and poverty, may still retain the divine impulse and the element of improvement and progress. And that's a common one in uh, literature, you know, using steel and as, as an example. Uh, steel uh, gets harder uh, the more it's heated up and tempered and then pounded on, especially in Japanese steel. Heated, folded, pounded, heated, folded, pounded, and you have steel blades that last for thousands of years. I am certain that there is nothing good, great, or desirable which man can possess in this world that does not come by some kind of labor of physical, mental, moral, or spiritual. A man at times gets something for nothing, but it will in his hands amount to nothing. So that one sentence uh, it is worth reading a few times. A man at times gets something for nothing, right? So he gets something handed to him, didn't put any work into it, but, but it will in his hands amount to nothing. So that becomes more and more obvious. The more you think about it, we don't appreciate the things that are handed to us as much as it, the things that we achieve, you know, we get through achieving when we have to work for something. When, when something is a labor, and as he says, physical, mental, moral, or spiritual, when we have to work for something, the fruits of our work uh, are, is something that we cherish compared to when something is just handed to us. 
What is true in the world of matter is equally true in the world of the mind. Without culture, there can be no growth. Without exertion, no acquisition. Without friction, no polish. Without labor, no knowledge. Without action, no progress. And without conflict, no victory. A man that lies down a fool at night, hoping that he will awaken wise in the morning, will rise up in the morning as he laid down in the evening. So without work, you're going to go to sleep the same exact way. Uh, wake up the same way that you went to sleep in. Now that's why we have to. That's why we teach the process, right? So people over the course of history have said challenges make you better. Okay. So now that we believe that, what do we need to do to get better? What challenges do we need to inflict upon ourselves to make us better? And that's where, you know, season one comes in. That's why we talked about the seven levels of self-development. Um, that's why we talked about reading other people. The basic rule being make your life harder in some way. A simple, simple thing that Bruce Lee used to do is he'd be walking down the street with someone and he would see a hill and then he would just run up it. <laughs> I mean, that's an example. He was making his life a little harder. The last point about that before the last section of the speech, if you wish to make your son helpless, you need not cripple him with a bullet or bludgeon but simply place him beyond the reach of necessity and surround him with ease and luxury. Wow. Yeah. The last part sums up everything. And I think the perfect place to end is this. But the industrious man does not find real pleasure. He finds it in qualities and quantities to which the baffled pleasure seeker is a perpetual stranger. He finds it in the house well built, in the farm well tilled, in the books well kept, in the page well written, in the thought well expressed, in all the improved conditions of life around him, and in whatsoever useful work may, for the moment, engage his time and energies. So. That is Aristotle in a nutshell. Aristotle had a theory called the happy man. And that theory is that when someone is evolved enough and mature enough, their standards of happiness uh, change. They, they change. So when we're young, we think that materialistic things make a happy person you know, having more abundance of materialistic things. But that in Aristotle's language, the happy man, or in Douglas, the industrious man, or the self-made, uh, they find pleasure. They have their standards are, are pleasure in the quality and structure of adulthood uh, of of providing making sure everything is 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 set for the future for other people 
the farm well tilled, house well built. These are that means they're building structures in which foundations can can provide for future sustainability. It's that is where man eventually finds the most happiness. It's in it's in caring for other people and making sure that they have it better than you did. And the only way to do that is to rebuild like literally rebuild the earth in a different way than from when you found it. And I think it's, it's worth reading through it's for free. It's online. Frederick Douglass's self-made men. It's not that long. You can go over it, get your own insights from it. But uh, I think that uh, only does a little bit of justice to the, profundity of the work but i think that's we've given enough time for it yep. thank you rokas uh thank you very much Saraj. and till next week till next week